All right, we're going to need lots of participation today. All right, everybody's off their schedule. So if you need a cup of coffee, let's get it and let's get into it. Um, Matthew chapter 1, this Advent season has been particularly precious to me. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm probably like a lot of folks, sometimes uh, the season passes me by just because of the sheer busyness of the season. But there's just been something really cool that God's been doing in my own heart, just deepening um, just my, both my need for him, but then uh, I think he's been kind to show me his provision and all that he's done. And so eager to be able to share with you this morning. Um, At the end of October, Jen and I, uh, along with some other leaders in the church, had a, a privilege of attending a conference out in Orange County, California, so suffering for Jesus, um, that's what we do, and anyway, Jen and I decided to turn that trip, since like she's literally never been there, into uh, a weekend getaway, and so um, we were in the land where it is absolutely perpetually 75 degrees, which I miss right now, I'm going to be honest, Um, yeah, I mean, some people get their rewards now, and some people get their rewards later, you know? So people in California, I'm not sure what's going to happen in eternity. But right now, like, they're receiving their reward. Anyway, so Orange County, this beautiful retreat, and we were just able to kind of walk up and down the beach, able to go to just some nice restaurants, just kind of rekindle, with just, just, just what we're about as a couple. And um, on our way to dinner, we were walking by the beach, and you could hear this group of people. It was a a candlelight vigil. You could hear um, just the angst and the pain in the way that they were singing. It was in Hebrew, but I don't speak Hebrew, but I was able to discern at that moment kind of what was going on. The day before in Pittsburgh, uh, 11 uh, individuals were shot and killed inside of a Pittsburgh synagogue. And so the local um, synagogue was gathered along with the community and they just were lamenting. There was um, just a, a palpable, discernible, just dealing with suffering and tragedy in the air. And um, we picked up a little bit of that when you, we sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's, that's a song that's written with longing in mind. It's a song that's written with angst in mind. It's a song that, that kind of communicates the depth of the human experience. That's what they were going through on the beach, and I'm sure that was part of helping that community heal. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter 1, it was written into a similar context, right? For, for Christmas to be good news, like it has to invade dark and painful spaces, right? I mean, if not, it's just this um, naive triumphalism that our culture kind of celebrates. But really, this, um, what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 1 is God's answer to pain. God has decided that he's not going to leave his people in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of despair. And that's the context in which Matthew chapter 1 is written. So if you have your Bibles open, would you uh, read with me? We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The reasons I ask you to stand is because these are the most important words that will be spoken here. There is a distinct difference between God's word that's inspired and infallible and the words that I speak. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and, they sh- and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, right now we so much want to experience just the, the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that you've already been with us in our singing. Thank you that um, you've been with us throughout our week. And thank you that you are with us um, as we open your word. I do pray that you would shine Um, just the illumination of the Spirit on your word, that you would apply this word to where we live, that we would be different as a result. Um, I pray that you really would cause this message to be good news to needy people. Lord, we trust you to move and to act. I need your help to proclaim this word. So Lord, we want to worship you in the splendor of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the backdrop of Matthew chapter 1 is um, lament and suffering and despair. And this is God breaking in and bringing good news. And good news is only good news if it is laid over and against the painful things that exist in our life. So the only way that Advent as a season can really work for us is if we take the truths of who Jesus is and why he came and lay them over and against the circumstances of our life. So Jesus actually wants to do real ministry for the real things that are happening in our lives here this morning. He wants to take all of the pain that you're experiencing inside of your relationships. He wants to take all of the pain that you're experiencing possibly inside of your body. He wants to take all of the pain and dysfunction from a broken world and he wants to lay that over and against this truth that he has brought a savior into the world who is called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the good news of the gospel. He wants to bring hope to people that, ha- that need hope. He wants to deliver you if you are on the brink of despair and he wants to fan into flame the gift of faith that all of us possess by giving us a new glimpse of what he's done through this old, old story of Jesus being born into the world. So the big idea that we're going to look at this morning is Christmas is God's answer to every lament in the human soul. Christmas is God's answer to every lament in the human soul. Christmas at its very core is God's answer to suffering and pain. Um, oftentimes, like those that are struggling with faith and the, the concept of God, often point to the reality of pain and suffering as the reason that God does not exist. If there was a good God who was in charge of the universe that is all-powerful, certainly there wouldn't be a world that's filled with suffering and pain. 
Well, what Christmas is, is God's answer to that dilemma. God promises to address every ounce of pain that's in every human soul. And he does that not by just sitting on a throne somewhere. He does that by entering into the story, taking on flesh so that he can be hope and he can be Emmanuel, God with us. Not only is that a struggle for those that are struggling with faith, those of us that are trying to walk out our discipleship with Jesus and follow him in everyday life. If we're honest, the things that cause us the most trouble and the most pain are when the circumstances of our life do not seem to line up with the character of God. Well, Christmas is God's answer and his promise to be with us and to never leave us and never forsake us. God responds to pain and suffering by entering into the story and becoming one of us. He's fully God and fully human so that he can represent us and identify with us in our story. Dorothy Sayers, who was a a British essayist and novelist, in an essay called The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, and I'm not sure this lady was a believer in Jesus, but this is what she said, and I think it's helpful. She said, The incarnation means for whatever reason that God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered in infinite pain, all for us and thought it well worth his while. Like that's the truth of the Christmas story. That God himself enters into the world of suffering and pain and he himself becomes the answer to suffering and pain. So whatever it is in your story that you believe is unredeemable, whatever that's in your story right now that is pressing in on you, it is for that reason that God gives us the promise of being with us, God with us, Emmanuel. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time this morning is kind of look at the context to which Matthew, the book of Matthew, was written. And we're going to see how they were lamenting, and then we're going to make some applications to our own life. So we're going to look at three different laments that exist in the human soul and how Christmas is God's answer. The first one we're going to look at is when God seems silent. When God seems silent. Trent did a a wonderful job last week of, of just walking us through the narrative in Luke 2. It had been 400 years since people had had a a word from the Lord. There were no visions. There were no angels. There were no um, just tangible representations of of God speaking and meeting with his people for over 400 years. Now listen, I'm an introvert, but that's a long time, right? I mean, like, but they also have this, and it's not like the, the people of God are somehow like just cozied up on a beach somewhere. I mean, They are experiencing oppression. They are experiencing defeat. They have enemies that are marching in and living right outside their living room doors. So in in for this perspective, these people would think, 
at their core, has God abandoned me? Has God forgotten to be faithful to his promises? Right? And we're not any different than that. I mean, it doesn't take very long, especially I look at my own story, when suffering comes knocking on the door, that I'm, I'm questioning, just like every psalmist that's ever written in the scriptures, where are you, God? Right? And, and, and Christmas... And Emmanuel, God with us, is God's answer. When we are asking and we we are struggling, where are you in this? God says, I want you to look to the fact that I have entered into the story, that I have become one of you, and you can look to me and find hope. God is a promise-keeping God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was a promise that was given to the people of God over 700 years before, right? And just because, right, God didn't necessarily speak and he seemed silent did not mean that he was not working. He was moving heaven and earth. He was aligning political parties and the Roman government to come in at this time so that the gospel could expand and go forward. God is always working even when he seems silent. So for us, the question is, how do we respond when we pray for things and we long for things and we don't see God respond? God wants to give us a a steadfast anchor for the soul, like the book of Hebrews says, where we can look to the cross, where we can look to his birth, where we can look to his resurrection, so that we find hope and find out that he is a a promise-keeping God. Not only do we have just the the promises in Scripture, I mean, our physical human calendar is measured by the coming and the birth of Jesus Christ into the world. It's the year 2018. We're about to turn the, the page to 2019. All of that is measured by Jesus stepping into the story. History and time itself speak to the faithfulness of God. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, he says this. You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you have imagined. So... Where in your story right now do you need to hear the good news that God is with us, right? Is there a relationship that needs healing? Do you need much grace to continue to function with your families during the holidays, right? It could be between husband and wives. It could be between friends. Do you need God to be with you, like in a, in a financial, and that's a real sense, like we don't often like to talk about this in middle-class America, but there's a reality that, that living here in this broken system can put strain on folks. God wants to minister to you to know that he is with you in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of the pain. Um, the book of 2 Corinthians says that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. God is a promise-keeping God. Christmas is the down payment of everything that we are going to receive in this life. So we can rest. We can wait even in the midst of difficulty by responding to the God that is with us and for us. 
The second lament we're going to look at is when scandal attaches itself to your story. When scandal attaches itself to your story. So, um, this is an angelic appearance to Joseph. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk a mile in his shoes, but it says in the passage that he was a just man. Um, and he didn't, when he heard this news, this presupposes some kind of conversation that went on with Mary that he was engaged to. And she comes to him and tells him that she's pregnant. You can imagine how much he would have wanted to believe something like this. But the angelic appearance was God stepping into the story in the midst of scandal. Um, I mean, you can even imagine, because he had to live with this for the rest of his life. Jesus had to live with this for the rest of his life. I mean, Joseph, um, even after he took Mary to, to be his wife, I mean, everywhere that he would go, people, I mean, you think small town Jonesboro is bad. Um, Bethlehem is about, uh, I mean, it's way smaller in comparison. I mean, everyone would have known their story. Everyone would say, hey, this is the guy. She convinced him that that baby was from the Holy Spirit. And that's how he had to walk out life. Jesus, and I'll I'll keep it PG, but as he walked throughout his life, his birth story was always a scandal, right? Because everybody thought that he was conceived out of wedlock. So this idea of scandal was familiar to Joseph, and, and God himself spoke into that, and that gave Joseph courage. The author of this book, Matthew, was a tax collector. I mean, basically meant that he could legally rob all of God's people from their money in the name of the Roman government. He was isolated. He was um, despised. He was rejected. And there was a day when he was sitting at his tax booth collecting taxes when God broke on the scene in the person of Jesus and said, follow me, right? Jesus is always going in to scandalize people and redeeming their story. And then for all of us, right? There are times in our lives when scandal attaches itself to our story. It could be ways that we have fallen, right? Ways that we continue to fall. Things that we thought would get better by now. Scandal attaches itself to our story. It could be your family of origin, right? And it could be a a real weight, Right? You could be born, to the in, seems like, in the wrong time to the wrong kinds of uh, people. There's things that we can't seem to break free of. All of these things are when scandal attaches themselves to our story. And yet Jesus became God with us to address the scandal that exists in all of our story. Jesus owns the scandal of his people by becoming a scandal himself and dying a sinner's death so that we get his spotless record and his righteousness becomes ours. Um, An author, R.J. Grunewald, he says the following. He says, The cross is a symbol of torture and cruelty, blood and death. It highlights the abuse of power and undeserving punishment, yet it's in that place that God does the scandalous. He turns the excruciating events of the cross into the perfect display of a scandalous, unmerited love for the undeserving. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The scandal of the cross that is in a moment, Jesus becomes the worst of the worst, and we put on the righteousness of God. And that's good news. On the cross, Jesus becomes the worst sinner of all time. In a moment, there is no sinner worse than what Jesus becomes on the cross. The sins of all people in all times and all places get put on Jesus. Jesus becomes the adulterer. Let that speak to your guilty past. Jesus becomes the liar. Jesus becomes the thief. He becomes the gossip and the town drunk. He becomes the racist and the oppressor. He becomes the self-righteous Pharisee, the cheater, the fraud. This is scandalous. Jesus, who knew no sin, gets beaten and bruised in order to make an unfair exchange, giving up his own righteousness to receive our unrighteousness. Jesus becomes the sinner and we become the heir to the throne. Jesus becomes the liar and we become the honest one. Jesus becomes the adulterer and we become the faithful one. This is what Christmas is all about. This is about the righteousness of God. God becoming one of us. God being with us. God attaching himself to the scandal of our story so that we become the saints. So that we become the holy ones. So that we actually have a message to offer the world. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not that we clean ourselves up and somehow God loves us. God loves us and he enters into our story and he gives us the spotless righteousness of his son. Jesus owns the scandal story of his people by becoming a scandal. So if you're here this morning and you wonder, is there any hope for me? Can God love me despite the scandal that's attached to my story? He knows it all. He loves it all. He owns it all. He has become one of us. Emmanuel is God with us. So the good news of the incarnation is that, dis- that God is with us despite us, and he brings scandalized people into his presence by becoming a scandal. Which brings me to my final point, lament number three, when the world seems to be crushing you. Now, the original hearers of this promise, I mean, they were under the boot heel of Roman oppression. This idea that God would become one of them and enter into the story. I mean, they were expecting some dominating political military leader to come and deliver them. But in the midst of this, they are longing for a savior. They are longing for hope. Now, we may not be experiencing oppression from some ruling power. But the reality is we do live in a broken system. Right? We do live in a world that wants to conform itself or conform us into its image. And I'm starting to hear myself. Maybe that's the voice. Yeah, there we go. All right. But in the midst of this, they're experiencing the oppression of the Roman government. We experience the oppression of living in a broken and a fallen world, a world that's trying to form us and shape us into its mold. So, I mean, There's no better example of this than the emptiness of materialism that has attached itself to the very holiday that we are um, celebrating. And listen, we do it big at my house. I'm not going to lie to you. But, But the reality is that system, if we don't train our hearts, can leave us empty and dry, right? It's this promise that things can satisfy. 
us, and they never can. I mean, I was listening to a podcast this week, and I mean, honestly, you, you, you can interview kid after kid. The things that they remember most and the things that I treasure most are the times that I spent with my parents, right? It's the, it's the conversations. It's the playing the game. It's not the mass and the accumulation of stuff. But we can fall into the same trap of the world to think that we have to somehow perform or to do something really amazing on these holidays. You kind of flip that as well, not only the, the materialism and then, and then working more to kind of pay for all of that. And it's just this perpetual cycle that can leave us um, in need of rest and leaving us exhausted. Not only that, but then you put on top of that like a religious culture, right? Where you're supposed to be able to come and to find rest and experience forgiveness and experience healing. Like, and most of the message that we can hear in our city is the, the way that you um, find peace with God is by doing more things for God. But Christmas is about God coming to be with us even when we were his enemies. He wants to bring us rest from the oppression of materialism and, and trying to keep up. And he wants to release us from just the, the religious tyranny of trying to prove ourselves through our obedience. He wants us to experience life. Jesus said near the end of his ministry that... Um, there will be tribulation in the world. But he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. That he's bringing hope and deliverance in the midst of a very broken system. Now, the story of religion that we can get caught up in, God wants to give us something better. The truth is that his kingdom has a completely different value system. He has a value system where our weakness becomes strength where our neediness actually positions us to experience his provision, where he wants to bring us hope and healing and salvation. He gives us a, a kingdom where it's more blessed to give than to receive and where um, as we pour ourselves out over and over again, he's eager to fill us. So I just want to close with just a couple of applications of how we can live in the truth of God with us. The first is, no matter what your circumstances are, Emmanuel, God with us, means that you are never, ever, ever, ever alone. That he is with us. Not only is God with us, he sends the Holy Spirit that dwells in us and reminds us that we belong to him, that we're sons and daughters of the king. So regardless of what your circumstances tell you, regardless of what your feelings tell you, the truth of Christmas is that you are never, ever alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Right? He is with you. The next is, if, if we're really going to be a, a good news Christmas people, this means that we take God up on what he has promised to us to be with us. To really enjoy the incarnation means that we long to be in his presence. Like we, God is everywhere equally present. I always want to stress that. But the reality is um, we're not always aware of his presence. We want to grow in our awareness. We want the weight and the beauty of who he is um, to capture our gaze, not just when we sing, but as we live our lives. We want to experience the the, the good news that God has become flesh and dwelt among us and we can draw near to him and that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Finally, 
Jesus identifies himself with what it means to be fully human. We spent the last eight weeks or so talking about what does it mean to be human. Jesus exemplifies that. He identifies with everything in your story. He knows what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. The book of Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, so that he could be a strong hope and a strong encouragement to his people. So no matter what you are walking through, he identifies with you. But more than just being, uh, you know, just kind of a friend or a buddy-buddy, he also represents us. We sang about this this morning. He is our great high priest. He has triumphed. He represents us. He is the spotless lamb of God that was sacrificed, that came into the world to represent us and to save us. So listen, th- th- this is good news that we can bring him all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our dysfunction, all the scandal of our story so that we can approach a God that promises to be with us in it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are with us, that you own our stories, that you promise to never leave us or forsake us. I pray that we'll be able to bring the truth of who we are uh, before the truth of who you are and you would um, do real ministry here. Um, We know that you have something specific for each of us. For those that have never placed their faith in you, I pray that you help them right now to believe and grasp this story. For those that are in the midst of suffering and need real relief, I pray that you would comfort them for those that need to be equipped further to be an agent of reconciliation in the world, to bring comfort, I pray that you would send your spirit to do that. All that by looking and gazing on your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to...